episode number 37 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded September 27th, 2019. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show. Based in southern Ontario, I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and a computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services, witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I live on a small hobby farm in BC. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, field officer for the CCFR, and my farm says food handy uh, I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has developed my mind for safety. I teach first aid, coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade and have worked as a, in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. Now, if you want to help support the show and uh, keep the Canadian Prepper podcast on the air, you can buy a Canadian Prepper podcast t-shirt at uh, rapidsurvival.com. All the pre proceeds help uh, keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Canadian Prepper podcast. Submit a review on iTunes. I heard there's a few new ones. Also, we want to uh, get your feedback, good or bad. Let us know if there's a topic you want us to cover, or if you like or dislike something we're doing, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, bone-chilling content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some news articles related to preparedness and the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode, which was a little while ago. And uh, then we'll get to the main topic of this episode, camping in the winter, because uh, old man winter's coming. I know. It really is, though. Um, I found an article. This is uh, going back a couple of weeks now. This is going to be from our last episode, but uh, the last episode didn't happen. Um, uh, this article is from Australia. He was a, an Australian man, went over, fell while hiking, went over a waterfall, would, and broke his leg. Uh, subsequently had to immobilize himself and then drag himself to help. Uh, some five, I want to say five and a half kilometers away. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew he was going to be missing for a few days. He had no means of contacting anybody. And uh, he lost his phone in the fall. So he was, uh, yeah, it was two days before he was finally found by rescuers. Probably a few wow. takeaways from that one. Just one or two. Um, yeah, we could, we could spend an entire episode just dissecting that one, that one event. Maybe we'll have to do that. I think we will at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's actually kind of funny because the uh, the second story I had there, uh, a man got dragged from his tent and eaten by a grizzly, um, which is kind of related to the waterfall one. The fact that unlike the waterfall guy, this guy actually had a personal location transmitter. So the good news uh -huh. is they found his carcass right away. Bad news is he got eaten by a grizzly. So. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was able to hit the emergency beacon and uh, you know just sent out a distress call. It's just he didn't have anything to defend himself with, so he was half prepared. I would say. When seconds count, the police are only hours away. <laughs> In that Got case, it. they're literally hours away. <laughs> so he uh, he went halfway in preparedness. Never go halfway. No, no. Yeah. Uh, I, so yeah. Was he expecting the bear to go? Oh shoot! Somebody's coming. I better leave now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, those those satellite uh, beacons has been activated. I don't know, man. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was uh, in the show notes as well. But uh, the. The other one for the tinfoil hat crowd, I love this one. It's just like the beginning of Stephen King's book, The Stand. So they had a bioweapons lab explode in Russia, and they finally confirmed it after about two weeks after everybody knew it had happened. And a weapons lab storing Ebola, anthrax, and the, the original Black Plague got released. Oh. <laughs> and so 
if we see a bunch of sudden sicknesses spreading across Eastern Europe, I guess we know what happened. Yeah, that's not good news at all. That's uh, that's how zombies happen, man. Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool stuff. Anyway, uh, that's all I had for that. Tim Fall hats out. Yeah. No. Yep. <laughs> uh, I've got Stop one. You're a 95 master, everyone. Uh, yes, absolutely. Those, those are going to help. Yeah. <laughs> Best place to buy those? RapidSurvival.com. Uh, look at that. Thanks for the plug. Appreciate it. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so I've got uh, one article here from the uh, Calgary Herald, and uh, it's warning of a significant snowstorm expected to slam southern Alberta this weekend. So I figured that was a little appropriate, uh, given the topic we're talking about uh, today. Uh, and that is um, posted as of September the 27th, 2019. So it is a uh, as of today. So they're they're expecting that this weekend, and they're they're expecting. Uh, wind gusts of about 50 kilometers an hour, and they're looking at uh, as much as 60 centimeters of snow. So uh, that's oh, a little crazy. You're going to get a first snowfall of the year, I suppose. You might as well make it a big one. Go big or go home, I suppose. <laughs> it is like, I mean, despite the, the stereotype, it is actually unseasonably early for Alberta to get snow. So, uh, at least southern Alberta. So, that is going to be huge for those yeah. guys. Yeah. So, if you're out that way, uh, start getting your prep sorted out. The best time to start prepping is yesterday. The second best time is today. Got it. I'm going to get that tattooed on me somewhere. <laughs> Make it somewhere appropriate and you can show us. <laughs> <laughs> or inappropriate. Maybe we get some more ratings. There we go. I'm <laughs> uh, just going to go back to your rooster, uh, <laughs> your rooster yeah. later, uh, Ian. That's right. We just get a paywall for all the uh, <laughs> right. yeah. all the racy stuff. Yeah, so coming soon. Uh, you can episodes. <laughs> uh, let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. And uh, what we've done what lately. We've... Go for it. I'll I'll take this one. What we've done lately for preps is brought to you by Get Out Stay Out Canada. They're the creators of the Get Out Stay Out Campfire Grill, and they can be found at getoutstayout.ca. Well, you guys caught me flat-footed this week. I uh, pretty much did nothing for fairness, but I've been away pretty much the whole time for work. Um, just got back last night. Uh, I think you guys have been pretty busy as well, but yeah. Um, I guess that's part of the reason we've been delayed so much, right? Pretty yeah, much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, during one of my little 36-hour stretches off, <laughs> yeah, we managed to get that livestock auction out of the way that I mentioned last episode where the uh, girls were going to send in their chickens. And uh, surprisingly, I... I was blown away. The uh, one of the girls got 180 bucks for a total of three chickens. So that seems like a lot yeah. of money. Is that is like is that a lot of money? I don't. Well, not in the livestock world. Normally, if you you can't give away roosters online, like you could actually like literally feed yourself forever on the island here if you were willing to go pick up people's unwanted roosters. And really? so the three chickens that we have were as a rooster and, and two females called Urban Trio, and the females were in lay and normally get for a hen that's in lay. You know, they've actually started to lay eggs. Um, you might get 20, 30 bucks for one. So, yeah, about triple the going rate. So, but um, supposedly these people wanted them That's... basically, yeah, they wanted them for like um, almost like not uh, social, emotional support chickens almost because they wanted to have chickens that were like not afraid to be petted and stuff. And because we hand raised all, all of ours, they, uh, yeah, they paid 180 bucks for the three of them. Wow. Yeah. So that uh, paid back. Emo- emotional support chickens. You would be shocked. <laughs> they, they, I, they have, I, I am shocked. Yeah, they have emotional support animals pretty much every type, way, shape, form, but chickens actually like hugs. They give hugs. They, uh, they do some sort of things. They also taste good, too. Nothing uh, against yes. that. Um, 
but yeah, oh. so a lot, lots of feed got paid back with that one. That yeah, no kidding. Um, so other than that, just a quick resupply of the farm for me, a couple maintenance items, uh, oil changes, tire changes, stuff like that. Um, but interestingly enough, I'm going to take credit for something the wife did. Um, she actually tried something called glassing eggs, uh, which basically is another way to preserve eggs uh, that doesn't require refrigeration and doesn't just leave them on the counter. So when you glass eggs, you actually have a bucket of water with some hydrated lime in suspension, which is, I think it's basically like oyster shell that's been baked and crushed up. So it's kind of like a calcium kind of uh, powder. And so what you do is you mix in with this hydrated lime into the water and it, you can actually put 50, like five zero dozen eggs in a, in a five gallon bucket and have them suspended in the water. It keeps them sealed up. And supposedly if you keep them dark and cool in a, in a closet or whatever, that's good for about six months to a year. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, we threw a bunch of eggs in a bucket that we had extra. And uh, yeah, we're going to give that a try and we'll kind of break them out after a month or two. And as long as it's not starting to smell, we'll, uh, we'll give them a try and see how the uh, pre preservation method worked. That's interesting, that. to, interesting to see how it goes. I've never heard of that either until, until tonight. Now, I did see somewhere, and I forget where, that somebody was, somebody oiled eggs. They coated them in vegetable oil or olive oil or something and yeah actually mineral oil apparently um, yeah, mineral oil there you go yep. any sort of oil that will actually seal the pores of the egg so uh, they say food grade uh, mineral oil which is the, the mineral, mineral oil comes in two I guess viscosities there's the heavy and the light um, the heavy stuff makes you poop uh, I think the light stuff is, is more uh, what you're after and uh, so you cover it with okay. this uh, I think coating the without taking off what they call the bloom of the egg so you don't wash them you just cover them with oil and they're good for six weeks to three months on, on your countertop. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's good. And then uh, this this glassing eggs thing, supposedly uh, we paid way too much for our hydrated lime on Amazon. But I suppose you can go to a, a, like a concrete supply store and get the exact same stuff in a giant bag for about a quarter of the cost. But that's uh, we'll see if it's successful first before you go to do that method. Yeah. Oh. No kidding. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So that's something. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm interested, how it goes. interested in the results. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did some canning uh, last couple of weeks. We put down about sixty jars of salsa, tomato sauce, and pickles. Uh, sixty total jars, not sixty of each. Um, we've been eating the salsa, a few jars of salsa. I haven't tried the pickles yet, but uh, we'll find out how that goes. Um, on a bunch of uh, on a bit of a kick with my car, I've put off some some maintenance things. So. I, Fixed the muffler, replaced the battery. I got brakes and uh, rear hubs coming, and um, looking at putting a block heater in for the winter. So out there at all the people in podcast land, let me know um, if a shade tree mechanic, <coughs> excuse me, like myself, can do that. Um, I'm trying to learn how to do everything myself, so I'd like to figure it out. And but I've never installed a block heater before, so is that something I can do or should I hire a pro? Can I screw it up? Can I screw up my car by trying? So, well, actually, I let me know. The answer, I can give you the answer right now if you want. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, it's funny. Cause like when I lived in Southern Ontario, same thing, the, the car didn't come with a block heater and coming from Alberta, I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean no block heater. And yeah, it is mildly warmer in certain spots than Alberta, but still something that just makes it easier on your vehicle to start and warm up and, you know, you get that oil warmer faster. Right. Um, so there is actually a little circular cutout in every engine out there. It's called a frost plug. And basically, uh, as long as you drain your radiator first, uh, get all the fluid out, you can knock out the frost plug with basically a screwdriver and a hammer. Um, 
make sure that you have a spare uh, plug from Canadian Tower that's the right size and everything ahead of time in case you just screw up. And uh, you basically take that out. You basically put your uh, block heater in, and it usually it plugs into space or threads in, depending on the vehicle. And then just run a cord to your battery and or, uh, like, you know, put an electric cord up near your battery so you can plug it in. That's good to go. Yep. Yeah, cool. Oh, look at that. What I'd really like is to have a block heater because they're block heaters that are battery wraps as well, right? That keep the battery from getting too cold. Well, that's a battery and blanket. Also, battery blanket, yeah. And yeah. I would also like something that actually keeps the interior warm so that it doesn't, uh, uh, my car, so the windshield doesn't frost. That's my next, I don't know if such a thing exists or if I could just put a little space, like a, a little micro heater in there and just run it off, run it off the battery or something. But well, the, the step down transformer and yeah, the little buddy heater would drain your battery pretty much overnight. But the um, yeah, you can do like a battery blanket. They're available at Canadian Tire for like thirteen bucks, and they're they're awesome too because they get the the higher cranking amps out of it. They keep the battery warmer, right? Um, and then also the little buddy heater, you're gonna have to use an outside power supply because that'll drain your battery for an hour and a half. So, but it, it they do work great, but there is a fire hazard associated unless you get like the super duper tip over safe ones and everything else. Well, yeah, I'd obviously have to do it in a way that keeps it safe, but I'd love to just keep that even just at like one degree, just so that there's no frost on the windshield. Yeah, my I mean, my thing, my thing is that when the pager goes off in the in the middle of winter, then I don't want to have to be like scraping the windshield before I can go go do yeah. go go run a go run a call. But I also don't want to be doing the Ace Ventura thing out the window because <laughs> my windshield's covered, right? Yeah. Well, you won't be catching so any bugs. I'm, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for a solution to that. Yeah, you wouldn't get any bugs. So once again, out there to the uh, to the podcast land, if there's if there's a solution there, let me know what it is, and I want to I want to give it a try so that my car is toasty warm sitting in my driveway when I get in it in the, at three o'clock in the morning when I'm half asleep. Yeah, and most of them come with the thermostats too. If you get a small little block heater, like the little buddy brand or whatever, they usually yep. have some sort of a thermostat. It might not be based on temperature, but just a setting. You can work it out. Oh, that's uh, that's. Oh, still there. Or even just even if you just had a timer, ran it for ten minutes every hour or something. Yeah, I don't know. Getting... We'll figure that out. But that's that's yeah. gonna be uh, that's gonna be another thing. A um, couple of weeks ago, we uh, practiced an escape drill with the kids at the out the from the house, which was mostly just getting out the uh, getting out the back window onto the roof. Um, from there, it's uh, about a six or seven foot drop to the deck. But I'm confident that if the house were on fire, then we could. Uh, we could do that without much trouble. Six or seven feet is really not that far a drop. So practice doing that. Everybody can get out on the roof. So there's that. Awesome. Hopefully we never have to do that for real. Fingers crossed. Uh, for me, I have been on the road the last two weeks. Um, so haven't really been home to do much. Uh, implemented the typical uh, walk around the hotel that I'm staying at that particular evening and mapped out a few different exits um, in each hotel, which... Uh, I've made a habit now since I can't remember what episode number that was that we started talking about that. It was a little while ago now, but uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, so that is now part of my, uh, my habit. Every time we end up in a new hotel, I will uh, map it out and try and find all the different little ways in and out. So I did that for the various number of hotels I've been in the last two weeks. And that's been pretty much it for me. So I guess Andrew pretty much ruined us both for, uh, for relaxing right away when we get to a hotel, huh? Yeah. There's no relaxing now. I'm, I'm the, the weird guy walking around. And everyone looking at you like, where are you going? Don't worry about me. Just, just over here. It's just fine. over here. Just and over now here. I'm over here. And now I'm over here. <laughs> and now I'm at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let's move into the main topic. All right, so first off, I have to quote my daughter here. I was talking; <laughs> she's asking me what I'm doing tonight for a topic, and I told her, and she goes, "Winter camping, Dad? Like seriously, who does that? It's all fun. the cool people. Yeah, old uh, people uh, that are super cool stuff. I don't know. <laughs> cool Masochists. Winter, yeah. uh. <laughs> who 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 doesn't do that is the better yeah. question. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, get with the program. <laughs> so I guess I my two cents on that question right off the bat would be like, well, we can't all bug out in thirty degree Georgia summer heat like The Walking Dead. So wait a in, minute, what? Yeah, in Canada, I think better than fifty percent chance you're probably going to be, uh, you know, leaving your house in an emergency in less than ideal weather. So it's usually the well, way it goes. Yeah. Winter winter also presents a higher risk of hazard, right? You're less likely to be able to get home, right? If you get caught in a snowstorm, you're burning fuel, you're burning, uh, you've got heating season, so you're more likely to have a fire in your house and be displaced. Yep. Um, there are so many, there's so many, you know, little bits and pieces we could point out there, but uh, the overall reality is that there's equal to greater opportunity for an emergency in the winter than there is in the summer. Well, I'd say even the current people in southern Alberta right now, there are, some of them might be about to experience winter camping in their car overnight. Yep. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, it, it happens, right? It happens every every year. People get stranded. Um, it yep. happened not far from here last winter. Uh, oh, geez, we're going back five years ago now, but a snowstorm blew, blew down the 402. Um, thanks, by the way, Ontario government, for putting a uh, putting a major highway right through the snow belt. That's great. Um, that, isn't was, it? that was solid planning, but 150 <laughs> kilometers, of, 150 kilometers of highway got closed all at once because of a sudden drop of three feet of snow, uh, to the point that um, search and rescue helicopters from Trenton, Ontario, had to fly to us um, to to this area to evacuate the people on the road. Now the uh, the OPP and the local snowmobile clubs were out on their out on their machines going down the highway checking on people, but everybody was stranded there for upwards of 24 hours. Oh, Wait a minute! There's snow in the snow belt. That's there's weird. snow in the snow belt. A lot of it. Come on! And it just it just shows up all of a sudden. <laughs> That's like living in Tornado Alley and being surprised by tornadoes. Well, they don't call it Tornado Alley because tornadoes it's, come. Um, <laughs> they didn't call it Thunder Road because there were a lot of storms, Ian. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. Anyway, uh, I guess. For a couple of my talking points there for the winter camping, uh, prepare for a slower than normal pace, no matter what you want to do with yourself. Uh, yep, everything takes longer. Everything oh, yeah. takes longer, and it's kind of a pain in the butt, but it is a good challenge. So I'm actually kind of glad we're talking. Well, about if you and if you're doing it on purpose, if you're doing it on purpose because you want to go get away from it all, then it's nice because you can't you can't get too far ahead of yourself. No, we can't. At all. You have to slow down. You have to take a break. You have to yeah and. Um, the, your your next your your next point makes you know is is the big one right layers, uh, which comes back to in, so layers and insulation, which comes back to moisture and um, moisture and air. Uh, like the first rule of camping of winter camping is if you sweat you die. Yeah, don't sweat. Yeah, you work you work just hard enough to keep yourself warm, not hard enough not hard enough to make yourself sweat because if you sweat you are going to get cold, and when you get cold, especially if you don't have anything to change into, it's gonna hurt. You are going to you are going to regret it. Well, yeah, actually, it's kind of funny because when I was a kid, I did the Boy Scout winter camping thing in Alberta, and uh, the one piece of advice my dad gave me before I left was, whatever you're wearing during the day, don't get into your sleeping bag wearing it just because it's warm. Right. Get yep. out of that. Put in something dry. Then hop into your sleeping bag. Might yep. suck a little, but you'll be yep. better off. 
And oh, I was much more great. comfortable than some of my cohorts that decided to just hop right in with what they were wearing. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, there was, like, uh, right away moisture in the sleeping bag. Um, you know, the layers that you have, some of them are already soaked. Yep. And, and you may uh, not even realize it. Yeah. And you, you don't feel it until sometimes you're sitting still, right? Yep. I, I, I received the exact same advice when I was in Scouts when I was a kid, but I was smarter than my grandpa. And so I knew better. And ah, yep. Boy, did it suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah. so it, moisture is definitely the enemy, like you said. I mean, so whether it be in your sleeping bag, even after, like, if you're out there for a few days, sooner or later, you got to wash your hands, wash your face, wash your undercarriage, whatever. Um, so you got to make sure you take care of that moisture before you sit there and try and yep. stay warm after you stop moving, right? Yep. So prepare the, the for two, the two most important things I take with me when I go winter camping is um, like four washcloths. So I can, so I always have something dry and uh, gold bond to absorb the moisture. Oh yeah. Oh, good call. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. I mean, so like I was yeah. going to say, my advice would be make sure you have like change your clothes daily, which sounds anal, but honestly out there, if you move it slower, you still got to change your clothes and, and before bed, like I said, that's uh, definitely something. What I used to do as well is I'd uh, before I forget is hang the sleeping bag out. So after you get up and you got a fire going, you just open the sleeping bag up, put it inside out over a rope, and then make sure the fire gets to like dry off. As long as it's not snowing, of course. Uh, you know, get the fire to dry out uh, the sleeping bag a little bit before you you know use it again the next night. Yeah, good tip. Get that moisture out of it. Yep. Yeah, because that's it's yep. uh, very insidious, isn't it? Oh yeah. So uh, speaking of insidious, hypothermia. Ah. So we should talk about that. Hypothermia. Of, yeah, it's just doesn't it's so not nearly hypothermia as, has a whole. Oh, go ahead. There's a whole bunch of risks associated with hypothermia. Um, the first sign for me of hypothermia, um, and this I'm going to give full credit to um, uh, Mars Kachansky, uh, Bushcraft, the author of Bushcraft. He, I read this in his book many years ago. So if you're watching on if you're watching on the screen here, it's when you can't touch. Can't touch your pinky to your thumb anymore. Now I can do that no problem. When I can't touch my pinky to my thumb, that's time to take action. That's when you're starting to get too cold. The first sign is reduced mobility, and that's that's the, the, the when you lose dexterity is is the, the the time to start going. One of the big challenges with hypothermia is that your blood doesn't clot. If you are hypothermic and you cut yourself because you can't hold on to your knife properly, it makes it harder for your blood to clot. You're going to bleed a lot more things get bad. That's all I'm going to say about hypothermia. Otherwise, come take a first aid class. <laughs> well, I was going to say, another sign is the slurring of the speech, which might be yep. confused if you're sitting there having some boozies around the uh, the campfire. You know, you might be slurring your speech for a different reason, but I'd say if the guy's sitting there slurring his speech and he starts taking off his tooth because he tells you super duper warm and it's minus 30 out, that's probably a bad sign too. Hey, call that yep. a clue. Yeah, that's a probably a good clue. <laughs> yeah. um, so of course, not um, quite right. Yeah. Dangers, of course. Is... I, Go ahead. I was going to say avoid alcohol uh, when when it's cold out because uh, when you are impaired, it makes it harder for you to regulate your body temperature. It makes it harder to understand when you're cold, when you're hot, and so you're more likely to sweat, which then makes you more likely to, to be cold later. It also makes it harder for you to understand that your body is actually going into shock. So. Well, your your belly might feel warm for a couple Alcohol's of minutes, but bad. in reality, it actually uh, opens up your pores and makes you lose heat faster too. So the warm belly is not a good sign. Um, If if you sweat, you die. Yeah. So dangers, of course, we just mentioned the the dying part, uh, but also the fact is that you're unable to communicate. Uh, You might just go comatose and, you know, 
die for no reason. So a uh, couple of cures for that. Uh, skin on skin contact. Not as yep. dirty as it sounds. Uh, but yeah, uh, not... Unless you make it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it depends on who you're camping with, I suppose. Yeah, not the best idea to do some extreme stuff, like throw them in a hot, hot bath or something, because actually there's, there's a no. danger with the actual shock, because yeah. as your body's trying to you know keep the, the warm blood towards the core, if also you warm them too fast, and also the warm blood leaves, cold blood enters, and that's a problem. Yep. So slow, gradual reheating, uh, heating pads, body heat, whatever have you, but uh, just get them back in front of a fire and uh, don't let them be stupid. Yeah, slow and steady. You don't yeah. want to shock them. Space, space blankets are good, except that they also trap moisture. So they, don't allow for, they don't allow for, for evaporation. I think we talked about this with uh, when Gavin was on when we were talking about uh, like stop the bleed and major hemorrhage. Um, throw a few, throw a few hand warmers in that in that mix, um, and you're in good shape. Um, yep. Yeah, those yeah, things are awesome. So, ad- adding heat is important as well as preventing heat loss. So the two, the the you you want to you want to stop the stop the heat loss and then add heat, make it easier for your body to warm up. Um, warm drinks are good. Caffeine is less good. Um, I've long been told and tend to believe that hot chocolate is the ultimate hypothermia fuel. Uh, it gives it adds calories, so your body can generate heat better, and it is warm, so it reduces the reduces the heat loss. And it's delicious. Well, there's that too. Leave the Baileys. I would say now. I would say avoid the marshmallows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So speaking of uh, trying to stay warm and heating its up stuff, the fuel requirements for winter camping, I'd say uh, you could definitely be burning more more wood and more propane as required, right? Oh, yep. absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And keep your fire going. It's a whole lot easier to keep a fire going than it is to restart one. Yep. Yeah. That being said, I mean to keep a fire going all day requires a heck of a lot more wood than you would think. So uh, mm-hmm. you're gonna have a much higher fuel requirement overall for winter camping, because even when you're yep. heating up, up a pot of water, I mean the ambient air alone is gonna be cooling that water pretty quickly too. So you gotta make sure you got a, a high output burner and or a, a good pan or a good pot. Uh, and that's, this is a good time to use a uh, to use a stove. Like to get out, stay out stove that, gi- that gives yeah. you uh, um, that gives you some wind protection and helps and helps create that chimney effect. Uh, also, if you can. Um, Build up a wind, build up a wind barrier, right? Use uh, yep. use snow, and if you can happen to be able to get into the um, get into the ground, if uh, this is a good time to use your Dakota fire, uh, I think everybody's probably read that at some point if they're watching the podcast. They've read about a Dakota fire. You dig a hole, you dig a wind tunnel, and uh, if you can do that, even if you can do that in the snow, then you're going to use less fuel than if you just have it out in the open. Same idea as a rocket stove too, but just built into the ground. Yep, yep so. exactly. Uh, choice of fuels, I was going to mention too, if you're not burning wood and you're burning like uh, actual like petroleum products, keep in mind that at certain temperatures, propane becomes less effective and you know, a butane mix becomes better. Uh, they both got their pluses and minuses though, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They yep. do. Uh, I want to say it's minus, minus 33 is the boiling point for propane. Um, so after below, below minus, I think it's below minus 20, propane becomes essentially ineffective. Yeah, it's not. It, it, it's you have to heat the tank in order to produce the vapor to create the uh, to create the gas flow. And um, please don't heat propane tanks. Yeah, it doesn't sound <laughs> like a good idea. What, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so, yeah, battery, bl- here in- battery blanket maybe, but but please don't do that. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. warm up pretty quick. <laughs> so very quick and, and also die. Hypothermia <laughs> yeah. is no longer your biggest threat. Yeah. No, you don't got to worry about hypothermia. Nope. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so choice of fuels was one thing I was going to mention, but uh, also like if you're here in hippie land on the west coast, it doesn't get below minus twenty generally. But if you go up in altitude, that can totally change. So a lot of people think it doesn't apply to them out here, 
but there are these like large hills behind me that if you go up a couple thousand feet, it's not hard to get into minus 20 weather. So that does become a, a serious issue. So um, make sure you pay attention to your choice of fuel that you're bringing with you if you are winter camping and packing everything in with you. It also changes the vapor density of the fuel, which makes it, which makes it behave differently. So minus 20 might not even be that, might not be your biggest challenge if you're 2,000 feet above sea level. Yeah. Okay. Uh, kindling use, of course, uh, trying to fight over the wet wood, because if, you if you're chopping up wood in the snow, certainly there's going to get snow on the wood. It's going to get wet, which becomes harder to start your fires. Um, kindling, the only thing I was going to mention is uh, if you don't bring little kindling sticks with you or whatever, uh, cedar. Cedar's pretty much found across Canada, is it not? Yep, and, as far as I know, uh, yeah. Yeah, no matter what, that if you split that stuff up, it'll it'll burn. There's enough oil in it; it'll catch fire as good kindling would. Yep. Um, so something to keep in mind that you can use in winter rainstorms, whatever. Uh, and uh, and the stand the standing dead wood, so the stuff you can break off the trees that still that are still standing is is your best bet. Uh, and there's also nothing wrong with taking some of those sticks and putting them inside your jacket to to help dry them out. Yep. <sighs> is that more moisture problems again? Yeah. Yeah, you'll get there, but that's what you got the fire for, right? That's what, but yeah, but it, <laughs> the, the solution might be worth it. Uh, yeah. One of the things I learned uh, winter camping, if you're going to tent, is to um, bring your tarp down a little bit closer to your um, to your tent. So I pretty like my favorite thing to do when I set up a tent is put up a tarp. Uh, creates a sunshade, makes you know gives gives you good rain protection. Um, but if you get it down close, it'll actually add another insulating layer so that you're uh, you're losing less heat uh, from inside your tent. Yeah, before I forget about the insulating layers too. So if you're sleeping on the uh, the ground, obviously sleeping on the snow is not a good idea. Nor is just putting a tarp down and sleeping on top of the tarp on top of the snow. So uh, yeah, you guys like do you guys do the pine bough trick and all of this stuff, or like you guys try and get some? Yeah, I've, I've, used, I've used pine boughs. I've used um, last few times I've been I've been uh, um, camping has been you know November uh, you know deer season deer season ish. And what I do is just take a couple of a couple of big thick foam pads. Yeah. And then put those down. Put a cup. Put a, uh, a winter sleeping bag down, and then and then sleep in another winter bag. Um, and that's been that's been adequate for me. I've got a little camp cot, so right up off the ground. Oh, he's glamping. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I'm glamping. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> See, and I've I've got I've got a cot I've got a cot as well, but I've I've always been afraid of that because I've because too much air movement underneath your underneath your uh, yeah. your your uh, yourself sleeping can also be bad. Yep. I usually take the bag or whatever I've got my clothes in, goes underneath the cot, and then where you go. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned, a little bit on that. Yep, that solves that problem. You mentioned the lead to as well. Like another thing to yep. orient your lead to in the right direction is uh, as long as you have the back of the lead to into the prevailing wind, so it doesn't blow into your uh, lead to, yep. kind of blows past it. That's a bit of a thing to keep you warmer too. So if there is any wind yep. uh, blowing, that's always a, a handy trip. Uh, edibles. I was going to mention that. Oh. not. What's what kind that? of party is this? Yeah, edibles. Not not the <laughs> marijuana edibles that are available at the local uh, government-mandated, you know, restricted, licensed cannabis store. But uh, I was going to say, like, not too much of the way of wild edibles available in wintertime, is there? Uh, nope. Nope. No. Rabbits, deer. Yeah. Nope. Squirrels. Which leads me to yep. my next topic. So uh, keep in mind, there's, there's not as much in the way to uh, stuff to find to eat. So obviously, you're going to pack in most of your food. But if you want to give trapping a try... Like with mm -hmm. snares or actual traps or whatever, if you have the, the legal ability to do so, um, trapping is a thing in wintertime because yep. it's uh, easier to find the game trails where the game is running. Um, even if it's just squirrels up and down the trees, you can see which, yep. which trees are being used, right? Yeah, it's very easy yep. to see. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to start there, tromp around in, uh, in winter boots in the deep snow, uh, trying to go hunting for deer or whatever, you're going to get sweaty. You are. Been there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so the, the sweat and deep snow are killers indeed. So uh, that's just the uh, number one concern is to, to not get too worked out there. Yep. Hence the moving slow thing. Yep. And Move have slow. a change of clothes. Yes. Well, that's pretty much all I had. You guys got anything? Yeah. Um, um, pack that's... pack water. Um, oh yeah, let's talk about that. General general rules. Yeah. General general rules are that uh, ice melts. Ice yields twice the the water of snow for half the heat. So if you don't, mm. if you have access to ice, use melt melt the ice. Uh, for water instead of snow. If you are going to use snow, then pack it as densely as you can. Uh, your best bet is to put a little bit in the pot and melt it and then add more snow on top. And you're going to find that that melts the snow a whole lot faster. Um, but if you're melting, if you're relying on melted snow, then you're, you're in a world of hurt already. Um, I'm not above, I have a little, I have a little buddy propane heater that I've, that I've taken into my tent. It, it, uh, um, you know, Keeps it keeps me nice and cozy before bed, and then uh, I will be the first one to admit that I've lit it half an hour before I'm going to get up in the before I'm going to get up in the morning. Wake up, light my little light my little uh, my little heater, and let it warm the air for 20 minutes, half an hour before I get out of before I get out of the bag, and that uh, makes things a whole lot more pleasant. Well, that's the uh, catalytic heater that's pretty much safe for indoor use as long as you have an air source, right? As long as you've got, as long as you've got an air source, yep. It's yeah. uh, they say you can't use it inside, but within the uh, within a tent, it's not airtight enough that uh, that's going to be an issue, and it's not like I'm running it all night or anything. And before you guys beat me to it, number one, a piece of advice: don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> Never <laughs> eat yellow snow. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so uh, snow. Uh, one centimeter of snow is equal to one millimeter of rain. So uh, again, if you're going to start melting snow, you need a lot. So, like, yep. Alan's advice is pretty sound, I think, on that. Yep. But, uh, so if you're near a yep. lake, of course. Keep, keep the top, use the top layers, you know, avoid the dirty stuff. Yep. Yeah. And the yellow but if you stuff. can use water, yeah. water, like, if you can warm up running water, it's just going to use less heat than trying to melt snow. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, of course, you know, like everything, if, if you, uh, if you get, if you get your hands wet, get them dry as quick as you can, because, um, man, does it ever suck trying to, trying to use, trying to run tools with, uh, with wet, cold hands, you, oh, things yeah. just stop working quickly. Don't put them back in your gloves. No. <laughs> Don't put them back in your gloves. The uh, your armpits and your groin are the warmest spots in your body. Yep. I've I've been I've been caught stand, standing with my hands tucked under my uh, tucked under my armpits many many times. Just uh, quick, just keeping them warm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. That's all I have. Uh, multiple light layers is better than big thick layers. Yep. Yeah, and actually, uh, Costco has right now has a nice little merino wool base layer, uh, cheaper Ooh. than pretty much anywhere else. Uh, I think it's sixteen bucks for I, a nice little base layer. Yeah, and so I saw, I saw that. I was in I was in Costco yesterday, and I was thinking actually I'm gonna I'm gonna be in town on the weekend. I might stop in and grab a grab a set and do a review because all my uh, all my base layers are uh, uh, the old waffle type, and you know what? They keep me warm, but it's. Um, hmm. It, it gets it's not good at wicking moisture. So, oh, well, that's that's, I, I guess one more thing: uh, wool wool will retain something like eighty five percent of its moisture when it get of its uh, insulating ability when it gets wet. It's one of the best things out there um, for all the synthetic downs and 
polyester, blah, 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 blah. Wool is still the best for, uh, for retaining heat when it's wet, especially your socks. We'll get the real wool socks. And the merino wool is not itchy, despite what the uh, the, you know, the legend yep. is about wool. So that's why the I mentioned the Costco stuff because if it's merino, it's chances are it's not gonna be that bad. So I picked up instead of long johns. So I'm gonna grab the shirt I think next week too, and uh, give it a try for hunting. I'm off to Costco tomorrow now. Yep, <laughs> I'm going. I'm go- I think I'm going Sunday now. Nice, cool. Well, I've got a, a quick little review here. Um, the Get Out Stay Out Grill. They uh, they donated one for me to, to try out on uh, not winter camping, but I figured it's uh, still an appropriate episode to talk about it on because we did go out uh, pretty much to the middle of nowhere. And uh, where did everybody go? I did that. Oh, you I did was, that. Oh, I was going to oh. say you could, sh- you could show the grill for everybody. Oh, gotcha. All right. Well, let's do that then. So I thought I lost everybody. This is it. So, ooh, ooh, yeah, it's pretty handy little grill. And it folds out. So you've got a little top layer as well. So you got two uh, two spots you can cook on, which is nice. And it's nice, folds down nice and small. This is the uh, the small version of the grill. They've got a larger one as well. Uh, but it's uh, well made, nice and thick. And... Uh, the idea is you just take it and put it over top of your fire and you can cook away with it. So uh worked out quite well. Uh, I brought the, large... on the weight. What was that, sorry? How much does it weigh, do you figure? Uh, it's a couple pounds. Yeah. It's not uh, it's not terrible, but uh it's it's made of uh like it's good quality, like it's good heavy. It's it's not flimsy at all. Uh it's once it's set up, it's good and sturdy. Uh, it made it through our uh, our backcountry trip, uh, no problem. Didn't break or anything, and we're pretty hard on gear when we go out, so that's good. Cool. And uh, yeah, so I set it up, and there was about what six uh, six or seven of us out in the trip. Uh, so like I said, we were literally out in the middle of nowhere. It's a couple hours on the trails to get to where we go, and uh, I threw it up on the uh, the campfire there and just made some burgers on uh, not this one. This is the one we're giving away later, but. Uh, they one that sent me the, the test out and threw some burgers on it and uh, they came out perfect. So it was good. We were able to get the burgers going on the, the fire there. Everybody was fed and uh, cleaned up nice too. Easy, nothing to it. Just a uh, paper towel and a little bit of dish soap and back to as if it was new. I, I do swear this is not the one that I brought out with us though. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was uh, it's good grill, nice quality. Uh, like I said, it took a took a beating because we're we're hard on the gear, but uh, it uh, worked great, and I'll be taking it with me uh, on our next camping trip for sure. Cool, yeah, and uh, yeah, they've got uh, like I said, they've got the two sizes. Um, the, this one here I showed in the camera is a smaller one, so it'd be a lot easier to bring with you if uh, if you say you don't have a vehicle um, or you're doing a lot more walking versus uh, the larger one. I'd uh, you're going to want uh, some mode of transportation for the larger one, but uh, the smaller one, you can get some weight to it, but uh, you can certainly throw it in a backpack if you have to and bring it with you. Oh, did we lose Alan? He's still there? He's a spinning wheel. Oh, well. Hey, you guys <laughs> move on to the podcast challenge, I guess? Yeah, uh, yeah he's gone. Uh, so, yeah, let's move to... I'll just get my notes back up here. Podcast challenge. All right. So uh, for this podcast challenge, I just uh, thought maybe we should all try and go out and find a jacket, toque, and sleeping bag that you're comfortable sleeping in winter with. So uh, my recommendation to you, ignore me at your will for sure at your leisure, 
But uh, go to the surplus store, not MEC, because it's not a fashion show at this point when you're out in the middle of winter. So yep. rather than spending a fortune on an Arcturix jacket, go get a uh, extreme cold weather parka that's you know ex-military in an ugly color. You probably spend about a quarter of the money. So um, right. that's just my two bits anyway. Yeah, so when you've done that, we're actually going to give away this grill here. Um, so the one that I was showing earlier there. Um, so again, uh, Get Out, Stay Out has been nice enough to donate that to us to, uh, to give away. So uh, just flip an email in to uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and uh, let us know that you've participated in the podcast challenge. And then I will put your name into a draw and I'll put everybody's name into a hat and we will uh, pull that out in the next episode and let you know who, uh, who wins. So and I'll say pictures or it didn't happen. Pictures or it didn't happen. Yeah, and if you don't want your name uh, read out on uh, on the show for the uh, for the draw, just let me know what you would want me to put on the slip, and I'll I'll use that as long as it's of course appropriate. I'm not going to read out something uh, inappropriate, but uh, yeah, if you, if you want to use an alias or something, just let me know what alias you want to use, and I can match it up with the email that I get, and uh, that way your your real name isn't read out if you don't want that. And uh, yeah, so just flip an email into uh, feedbackprepperpodcast.ca, and uh, this grill here can be yours. So no Bodie McBoat faces on the draw or anything else? No. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right on. I, uh, All right. Oh, Alan said his internet broke, so he's not coming back. Uh, okay. Well, this is not something more serious. That's good. Zombies didn't get him. Nope. Not this time. Nope. Not today, zombies. Not today. <laughs> not today. Unless it's them chewing on his internet line. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky little guys, aren't they? Yeah, they are, yeah. Uh, so we got any upcoming events? Yeah, so we've actually got a interesting one, I thought. It was actually organized by, I think, the government, which is really Ooh. more shocking. Um, are we allowed to talk about this? Yeah, Instagram.com <laughs> slash ShakeoutBC. So yeah. it's uh, October 17th at 1017. Pretty crafty there. It's 1017, October 17th. Uh, basically, they want everybody in BC to participate in an earthquake drill. So um, go to the Instagram account that it's on the show notes there. And it's basically just uh, trying to raise awareness about earthquake preparedness. And they want everybody to kind of do something to basically show that they're a little bit prepared for the, when the big one hits on the West Coast. So I thought it was uh, worthy of a mention anyways. Nice. At, le- at least they're trying. They may not be good at it, but at least they're trying. Yep. <laughs> so. well, that's good. Get the word out there, right? Yeah. And how about shout-outs? Well, shout-out is, just isn't the same with Alan, so I'll give him a quick shout-out. We miss him already. Yeah. Um, but this is actually uh, mentioned to me by somebody else on our Facebook page. I thought it was definitely worth a mention. So uh, the man who saved the world just recently died, which is sad to hear. So um, for those that don't know who huh. I'm talking about, the guy's name is Stanislav Petrov. And back in the uh, 80s, it was. Um, they were trying out a new early warning system in the Soviet Union for uh, incoming missiles from the United States. Uh first couple days in operation, the warning system declared that the uh, U.S. had lost a, launched a massive attack in the Soviet Union, and they were about to get nuked. So uh, all Stanislav Petrov had to do was pick up the phone, and basically the world would have ended, because the Soviet doctrine at the time was massive retaliation, uh, so they didn't get caught with their pants down. So, um, But cooler heads prevailed in his part, and he basically said, this doesn't look right, and it is the first kind of week in operation of the system. So despite his underlings, I guess, at the time were pressuring him to make the phone call, and he stood his ground and said, no, I think there's something wrong. This doesn't make sense. The U.S. would, like, launch more than five or six missiles at us. 
In the end, uh, instead of having the world end, it turned out that the uh, warning system merely detected sun, basically the sun rising and reflecting off stuff on the ground, and they mistook that heat bloom on the ground as a missile launch. So, <laughs> in the end, he ended up getting uh, demoted and didn't get much in the way of recognition until much later, but he did basically save the world from getting blown up. So I thought it was worthy, worthy of a mention for Mr. Penderell. Well, there you go. Yeah. So thanks, yeah. Tomislav. I would All have been right. like ten when the world ended, so that would have been that would have sucked. I won't mention how old I would have been. <laughs> uh, don't start. I won't. Uh, so, email and iTunes reviews. So yeah, I got one from. Uh, yeah, I got one from YouTube. One from Kevin. Uh, he actually helped us out. Actually, uh, it made me a little more aware of something. So he mentioned that no canning jars are made in Canada. I thought the Bernardins were, but I was actually uh, mistaken. I was I was less right. How does that? Sound? <laughs> um, it is a common misconception that the Bernardin manufactures their jars in Canada because of the labeling on their boxes, but they're actually made by Jardin in the U.S. And Bernardin is the Canadian mm. brand name for the parent company Jardin. The other manufacturer would be Bell, and they are in the U.S. or Ball, sorry, and they are in the U.S. as well. But I did a little more Google foo, and I discovered the conspiracy runs deeper than that. So it turns out that uh, the Golden Harvest, which I thought was made in China. Yeah. Um, actually re- revealed a huge conspiracy because Golden Harvest brand mason jars for home canning are a lower-priced line of mason jars sold by the Newell Corporation, which also owns Ball, Bernardin, and Care. So they, they own them all. Well, well, well. Yeah, so it uh, turns out that every single mason jar you buy in North America is made by the same manufacturer. They just use different names. So it basically boils down to like what you think you're getting GM or Ford or, or you know, Toyota, but in reality, you're just getting the same stuff with just different labeling. So pick the label you like and buy it. Yep. Doesn't yeah. seem like there'd be much of an addition to the quality of the glass. Well, there you go. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's see here for iTunes reviews. We are up to 32 five stars, uh, one four star, and we still got that one little guy, one star, keeping us honest. And we've got a. Uh, Review here as well. A new one from September 13th uh, says extremely informative panelists are clearly geniuses. And man, that guy, uh, Ian, is seriously handsome. Uh, behold the awesomeness of the Prepper podcast. Man, it sounds I like an extremely clever guy. It does sound like an extremely clever guy. I think it might even be a panelist. <laughs> I did not submit a review. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. you said you wanted a review, so I just thought it'd help you out. <laughs> Appreciate it. Man, no worries. And it was a five star too. That was very, um, it, was, it was very nice of you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I'd almost expect the one star. Well, just only to if I was get doing, me riled up again. If I was doing a solo show, maybe be a one star. But ah, gotcha. gotcha. Well, we'll take the five star review. Look yep. at that. We're starting to try to bump up our own stats. <laughs> uh, what else we got here? Uh, email wise, the inbox is empty. Wah, wah. Is what it is. Um, we're starting to get spam, so at least people are picking up on the email address. Well, and the good news oh. is, if I guess if one person sends in something for the uh, winter camping challenge, I guess they're going to win. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Can that I? Could can, I uh, can I try for this one too? Well, you can use your alter ego that you use for your uh, <laughs> your review there. Yeah. Let's get another Gmail address. <laughs> figured out. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. So I think with that, I'll bring episode number 37 in the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes to submit a review. Uh, it helps other people find us. And you can uh, find us at prepperpodcast.ca and, of course, on Facebook. All right. We record these uh, shows on StreamYard now. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you alerts when we are going live. You can contact uh, Alan directly at Instagram at BESWO. Now, for myself, you can uh, reach me directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me at Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing more government waste, squirreling off on the odd firearms related banter, and exposing the daily loss of freedoms we're facing, especially lately during election time. And they're back, uh, they're back on the air now? Uh, well, they did one. I did, they did two episodes without me here recently because uh, they kind of had to change around their schedule a bit. But I think they're back regularly on Monday, starting this Monday. And our download rate is still higher. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Actually, I think they they took a little spike up too. So now oh, it's on test. So good. All it's, right. uh, it's on. Excellent. Sounds good. Uh, please check out Rapid Survival. That's at rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there in the live chat while, of course, buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Don't forget about that podcast challenge. And uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, tune in for the next episode where we're going to be uh, talking with uh, the Firearms Legal Defense. So until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs> <laughs>